0: Hey, we're going to continue this morning our series um, called More Than Enough. Um, we're, we're looking at different ways that we can trade in mediocrity in our lives for the moreness, the fullness of God in our lives. And so we're going to take another swing at this today, and we're going to be jumping off in the book of Matthew, the, ter- the 13th chapter. Sorry, my, my tongue's swelling, it feels like. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 13. And uh, we'll get right into it. You guys are doing okay today? You guys online doing okay? We're praying. You guys are actually hearing what's being said today. I um, appreciate the hard work that's going on behind the scenes to make that happen. Um, but uh, I, I'm, I'm asking God to do something uh, special in your lives today um, through His Word, not because I'm at, I've got anything special to say, but I hope that, that He does. And we'll start in Matthew chapter chapter 13 verse 13, this is what the Word says, Jesus speaking. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Instead, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. And to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. The context of this, this passage is uh, it's right after Jesus told the parable of the sower. You remember the story, if, if you've been in church at all, you've heard the story about a farmer who went out to sow seeds, and some fell on different kinds of soil. Okay, So that's the story he's just told. And so as, as he tells the story, the disciples respond to Jesus by saying, why, do you, why are you teaching in these stories? What's up with the parables? And so this is Jesus' response to that question. And he starts talking a lot about seeing, but not seeing, and hearing, but not hearing. People's hearts have grown dull. And so he starts talking about physical attributes that have spiritual implications. The way we see, the way we hear, the way we feel. You see, the truth is that that God's given us all basically the same five physical senses to navigate through life with. Okay, we've got sight, sound, touch, taste, and smell. And the Bible speaks to all of those. I'm going to put some words up on the screen that um, I want you to try to help me with, okay? I want you to tell me what these words have in common, okay? Okay, the first one is chroma achromatopsia, okay? The second word is hyperaccusis. The third word is analgesia. The fourth word is adjusia. And the last one is anosmia. Anybody in the room have any idea what those five words have in common? They're hard to say. That is true. That is true. They're not from babynames.com. I actually am still looking, but that—that that I've digressed from that path. Anybody? Yes, ma'am. Say it. There are, with your there are issues with your senses, and the way you said that, like everyone should know that, <laughs> is really great. Yeah, that's exactly right. These are all conditions or diseases that have something to do with one of your five physical senses, okay? The first one, that achromatopsia, that deals with your sight. That particular condition is total color blindness. Like you can't see any colors at all. Like all you see are shades of gray. Okay, It's a real thing. It's pretty rare. A lot of you might struggle with color blindness in some form, but that one is total inability to see colors. Hyperacusis deals with hearing. But it's not about hearing loss. It's about being hypersensitive to like everyday noises. It's kind of, I think a lot of mothers suffer from this at home with their children when they're all talking to this. Mom, 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 mom. You know what I'm saying? Like you just can't deal. In a hyper extent, you can't deal with, with traffic noises or just the chaos of life. There are people with this condition that literally go into a shell because they can't function It's a real thing in a physical sense. And algesia is very, very rare. And it deals with a sense of touch. It actually describes a condition where a person cannot feel pain. You can't feel physical pain. And a lot of you would hear that and think, but sign me up for that. That would be awesome. No, this is a a fatal disease. Because when children have it, they don't know how to not hurt themselves. A lot of times they'll end up biting their tongue off and not knowing it. Or or they stick their hand in a fire and don't move it because they they have no physical sensation. It's a physical thing, and it's not good. Agusia deals with your ability to taste. It means you just can't taste anything, and there's another form of this disease, and I think my father actually experienced this called dysgusia, which means you always have a bad taste in your mouth, like... He went through chemotherapy over and over again, and he would come home from those treatments, and maybe some of you have experienced this, and he says everything tastes bad. Like the stuff that he liked to eat before, he, wouldn't, he couldn't eat it because it tasted like metal or it was bitter or something like that. This is a condition that affects people's sense of taste. And that last one, nosmia, is the complete inability to smell. I like to call this Tuesday morning every week at my house, or Monday morning. I wake up, my sinuses are totally jacked, I can't smell anything, but it's a passing condition. This is a real condition where you you just can't smell things. And depending on where you are in the world, this might be a really advantageous thing to have. If you've ever been to Haiti with me, there are some smells in Haiti that you would just as soon not smell, okay? But then there are these other smells that are beautiful. So anyway, these physical things all attack the five God-given senses that he gave us to navigate our way through life. One thing I, I found interesting in, the, in the, the passage that Brock read when we opened the, serv- the service this morning in Psalm 115 God starts describing false gods, describing idols that people worship, and he uses all these characteristics to describe. Listen to what he said. This is Psalm 115, verses 3 through about 8. Our God is in the heavens, he does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. Ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. The psalmist is describing things that people worship with senses that God gave them that's not authentic worship. Um, see, I think he says these things because the implication is that God has all those things. God has a mouth. And with it, he spoke everything into existence. Right? He has, he has hands. He can smell he could, the fragrant aroma of the offerings through the Old Testament. All these senses are things that God himself has and he passed on to us because we are created in the image of God. Right? And so... While all those words that we just looked at describe physical conditions that you may or may not struggle with, everything in the physical realm points to something in the spiritual realm. There's spiritual reality, things for us to gain from looking at those physical senses and applying spiritual principles to them. Okay, so that's what I want to do this morning. Because probably there's nobody, there may be... In a room this size, someone's struggling with probably some part, some sense they're struggling. with. I'm nearsighted, I'm not totally blind. I'm nearsighted, but if you take these glasses away, I'm pretty helpless, okay? Some of you might have, have hearing loss or, 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 or trouble um, with your joints and, feel, and just pain. And there's all kinds of conditions. And while they might not be debilitating affect the way you live your life, right? I mean, there are some of you that don't, you aren't able to do the things that you used to do because of some kind of physical thing, and maybe you'll get over that, maybe you won't. Same is true spiritually. When we look at spiritual conditions relating to these senses, I think we're going to find that the Bible speaks to all five in different ways, and that's what I would like to do today. In the time that we have left this morning, I'd like us to just look at those five senses. If you're taking notes, that's the outline. Sight, sound, touch, taste, smell. We're going to talk real briefly about all five of those things. I'm going to give you a biblical context to look at each one of them. And then I'm going to ask you to do some self-evaluation. This is really what this is today. It's a spiritual audit for you personally. To look at your, your own life, your, look in your spiritual mirror, and ask the question, am I seeing okay? Am I hearing okay? Am I feeling okay? Am I tasting okay? Am I smelling okay? Okay? So that is the outline, because I really think it would be cool if we could trade in some of our mediocre spiritual senses for sen- spiritual senses that are in tune with God. I talked two weeks ago about being connected to God, not being loosely connected Today, I'm going to be talking about getting in touch with the spiritual side of the way you see the world, the way you hear the world and process information, the way you feel about what's going on in the world, what you value in the world. And I think it might be eye-opening. Are you ready? Can we do it? We did it in the Niner, and most of those people might come back next week because they know I'm not preaching. So anyway, here we go. Sight. Let's, let's look at that one first one. Any of you like this, you spend time if you have too much time on your hands or you watch too much shark week and you start thinking, boy, there are ways that I wouldn't want to die. You know, I wouldn't want to be eaten by a shark. I wouldn't want to be thrown into a fire. A pit of snakes would be pretty awful. I think that kind of stuff, okay? And I also think if I had to lose one of my senses, what would be the worst thing to lose? And I think total blindness is horrifying to me. Just the idea of going through life physically and not being able to see or have a context for what anything looks like, I can't imagine. And people all over live this way and they live full lives and it's it's crazy to me, but for me, maybe it's because I'm a visual learner. Um, Everything in my head is in pictures, not sentences. It's just the way I process things. I just, it would be an awful way to live. But spiritually, that's how we all start out. That's what the Bible says about all of us. Until, until God reveals Himself to you through Jesus, and you receive forgiveness of your sins, and you have a relationship with Him, you can't see anything. You can't see anything spiritually. God doesn't make any sense. It's just a bunch of gibberish. Um, it's what Jesus was talking about, about these people in, in Matthew 13. He's saying they, they hear, but it's just words. They see, but they're not really seeing See, we all started there, but then he opens our eyes, and we start to see things. We don't completely understand everything, do we? I mean, if you do, please help me because I don't. Because even though my eyes are opened, I still struggle spiritually with sight. Sometimes I'm nearsighted. It's just I can't see it. It's too far away. Or I'm now. I used to be that. Now I'm now I'm farsighted. Now I'm both. Like it's too close to me now. I can't see it. My arms aren't long enough. It's like we still struggle spiritually, maybe with, with something called spiritual achromatopsia. Maybe we just don't see colors that good. You know, maybe we think we see something that's good, but it's not really good. Have you ever done that? you ever something come into your life and you think, oh, it's an incredible, bless, a credi- incredible blessing, but it's really a curse? Like it's, how many times have you gotten something you prayed for and then it just wrecked your train? It's because maybe... We're defining good as bad and bad as good. Am I making that up? I don't think so. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about this and He says this in Matthew 6, 22, The eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Guys, the context of that teaching was right after he was talking about treasures. Seeking treasures, chasing treasures, deciding what you value. What do you value? Whatever you value, you declare that to be good. What's not that to be bad? And maybe it's flip-flopped. He's saying if your eyes are healthy, your whole body's full of light. But if your eyes are bad, you might be defining darkness as light and light as darkness... A spiritual condition where you can't tell one shade of color from another spiritually. You don't know if that's supposed to be good or if it's supposed to be bad. Anybody tracking with that? I mean, do you, have you ever gone through a season like that where you just weren't even sure you knew what was right and what was wrong? It's a matter of spiritual sight. Another example, Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 says this. Paul's speaking. He says, as we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, temporary, but things that are unseen are eternal. Context of this statement is he's talking about going through hard times. See, you don't need your faith for the mountaintops of life, people. You need your faith for the pit, for the the times when the circumstances seem to be screaming out of control, when chaos seems to reign and you have to decide what am I going to fix my eyes on? Am I going to fix my eyes on this because it's right in front of me or am I going to set my gaze above that to something that you can't see physically but it's eternal? Because I don't know what you're going through right now but I can guarantee you this, it is temporary. It will pass. One way or another, everything we see here is temporal. It's temporary. What are you focusing on? I think this is a, a really... Appropriate question for our world today. For the church in the midst of the world today. For the next two weeks and everything that's going to entail, here's my question to you. How do you see the world today? What are you focusing on? When you look at the world and you see, I I, I admit I watched the debate the other night. I'll never get that time back for the rest of my life. And everything that was said, I had to decide, am I going to react to what he said or what he said? Am I going to react in fear to what he said or in fear to what he said? Am I going to decide, is that true or is that true? Because they can't both be, right? How are you reacting to the world when you hear that? Does it drive you to take your eyes off of that and try to focus on something that's eternal, that's pure, that's upright? that's holy, that's praiseworthy, and think on those things? See, that's the choice that we as believers have to make. You have to decide, how are you going to see the world? How Are you going to react the same way that all your neighbors do, all your co-workers do? Or will you respond in faith? See, if we are different, we should respond different. If we are different because God has made us different, He's given us spiritual eyes, then we should think it natural that we would see things that the world doesn't see and that we wouldn't be rocked to such a degree as the world around us is because we have a hope that we've been singing about, right? See, we need that hope in days like today. See, my prayer for each of you is the same prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, when he he prayed this, he said, and this is a paraphrase. He said, God, I pray that you would give them the gift of wisdom and of revelation. You know what a revelation is? It's something that's revealed to you. I went to college and learned that. Something that revealed. You can't make it up. You can't discover it unless God shows it to you. Paul's praying for these people. I pray that God would give you the gift of wisdom and revelation that you might know. The hope to which you've been called. Guys, as you navigate through the world trying to figure out if your spiritual eyes are working or not, that's, know that's being prayed over you. That God might reveal a picture to you that you, had no, that you, couldn't, you don't have the capacity to make that stuff up. You would see it and it's clear and it helps you make decisions in the now. Spiritual sight. That's the first one. Second one is this: hearing. Hearing is pretty basic um, to the faith. In fact, Romans chapter ten, verse seventeen says this: "So faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of God." Some of you spend a lot of time saying, "God, would you show me a sign?" Like that, the revelation thing would be great, but you know what? That's not going to give you faith, because faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the Word of God. See, if you never hear it, you'll never understand it. See, because this is the truth. Hearing involves more than just perceiving an auditory tone. It's, it's, hearing is more than just recognizing a noise. It's about recognition of what that tone represents. Okay? So, otherwise, it's just trying to It's still like this for me when I go to Haiti. I've been going for 20 years, but I can go and I can have a conversation with someone one-on-one. But if I get into church in Haiti and the preacher starts preaching in Haiti, I ain't catching one word. It's just like, it sounds like just this perpetual wall of sound because I hear it, but I don't understand it. I think spiritually speaking, a lot of people are like that. Some of you right now, you're just like, dude, you talk too fast. You've had too much caffeine. Enough. And so others are you're tracking right with me, because you have spiritual ears. See, it's more than just hearing a voice; it's recognizing that voice. Look at John chapter ten, verses one through five. This is a pretty good example of what I'm talking about. Jesus is teaching, and he's he's describing the people of God as a, sh- uh, a group of sheep, and describes himself as the shepherd. Listen to what he says: "Truly, truly, I say to you." He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way is that man's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. When I go home from church today, I don't know how people are going to treat me. I live with three women now. All the guys have deserted me, okay? They might be happy to see me. They might not be happy to see me. But you know what I do know? There will be a little black and white spotted dog sitting by the glass door in the garage, scratching like this, as soon as it sees me walk up, and there are no questions, she knows exactly who I am, and she loves me completely. I'm not saying other people don't. I'm saying I can count on that. And if you have a dog that loves you like that, you know it's true. I think that God uses things like that to teach us how we're supposed to obey Act, submit in the presence of, of the shepherd. That dog wouldn't, doesn't care about anything else but being with me. Okay? I can speak. She knows my voice. Here's my question Do you know the voice of the one you're following? Can you recognize his voice when you hear it? Or are there so many other voices? that you're not sure if it's Him or not. Here's a question. In the course of day-to-day life, which voices do you find yourself following more often? Do you, is it whatever, whatever's on the news? Whatever, whatever political agenda you might ascribe to? Is it, which voice do you listen to the most? If it's any voice other than the voice of Jesus... Which you get from the Word, who is Jesus, then you might ask yourself, Am I really following the right path here? Am I listening to the right voices? I think it's possible that some of you might have a, a case of spiritual hyperacusis. What does that mean? It means there are so many voices in your life, you don't know who to listen to. Like, like, overload maybe, you're listening to two different I'll I'll take a little bit from here and a little bit from here and then it all gets kind of confusing and then you end up just shutting down. Sometimes guys, that's why the discipline of meditation, Sabbath, silence is so important because our world is so noisy that sometimes we can't hear anything for all the noise. Spiritual hearing. How are we doing? How are you doing? Spiritual self-assessment. God, am I seeing seeing the things you want me to see? Am I hearing the things you want me to hear? Am I reacting to what I see? Am I processing what I'm hearing? If you're not, that doesn't mean you're bad. It means there's some work that you need to do. To take seriously this, this process of warring against the sin in your own life. You, we never outgrow it. You never outgrow the need to look in the mirror, be honest about what you see, and do something about it. Number three, this idea of touch or feeling. This analgesia. Gosh, what a horrible, horrible thing for someone to have, a, have to live with, to to. Not know that you're harming yourself. But guys, spiritually, it's possible to live that way. In fact, that's who Jesus came to save were people who, who were hurting themselves and didn't even know it. Paul talks about this in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. This is what he says. Now I say this in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. The Gentiles are the people who don't know God. They don't have a relationship with God. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. These people, unless something changes, they have a fatal condition because they can't feel spiritual pain. Some of you would say, oh, I'm so tired of pain. God, I, would, I think I would sign. I'd rather feel, feel nothing to, than to feel the pain that I feel right now. And Do you realize the sensation of pain is there to protect us? It's not fun. But it is for our good, and when we can't feel it, that is not for our good. He talks about these people that are darkened in their understanding. Their minds are futile. Why? Because their hearts are callous. Do you know what a callous is? A lot of you ladies spend a lot of money getting pedicures because you don't like them, right? But if you lived in Haiti and you walked around barefoot, you would like those calluses Because I've tried to walk on those rocks, and it's like it's an embarrassing couple of steps, Okay? So calluses on your feet are good if you don't have shoes. Calluses on your fingers are good if you play the guitar because otherwise it's pretty painful. But calluses on your heart, never good. Why? Because it keeps you from feeling what you're supposed to feel, how you're supposed to feel it. See, stuff that used to cause you pain because God was trying to warn you, this is not good. You start building up a callus, it just bounces off. That's not a good situation. And let me me just say this to everyone in the room. If you can hear my voice, this applies to you. You are not unique. You are not unique in this, that people everywhere for, for all time, no matter where you were born, where you came from, whether you're male or female, what your station of life, you all experience pain. And you all cope with pain differently. Some of you in more healthy ways than others, but we all cope with it when we really should just deal with it. See, here's here's my desire for you when it comes to this, to to callousness of heart. Stop, Stop coping and just deal with it. Some of the saddest funerals that I ever do are for people who lose family members who never dealt with an issue and then there's bitterness, there's discord. Just deal with it while you can deal with it. Feel it now so you don't have to carry it around for the rest of your life. Because those calluses, they might be, have, they might be good in some ways, but never on your heart. My prayer for you is that God would soften your heart so that you would feel exactly what He wants you to feel. So you could deal with it. Not, not that He would hurt you, because God's, He doesn't want to hurt you. You know that. Some of you just need to hear that. God does not want to hurt you. But He will hurt you to help you. He will hurt you to heal you. That's just... It, it, if you're a parent, you know that to be true. And He is the perfect parent. So there we go. There's three of them. Those are the big three. Taste and, and smell... They don't get the press that the, that the, the, the big three do. But I want to I talk about those for just a second before we're done. okay? Because I think they are important. This idea of taste. Psalm 34.8 says this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Guys, if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, I don't have to convince you of His goodness. If, if you remember what it was like before you met Christ and you remember the weight that was lifted when you realized I'm forgiven. I'm loved for free. There's nothing I can do to earn this. If you've tasted that, then there's nothing I can say that's going to make you understand that more. But if you haven't tasted that, there's no way for me to explain how good it really is. See, Here's a question. What have you developed a taste for? Can you really say, I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Can you say with the psalmist in Psalm 119, how sweet are your words to my taste? How sweet are your words to my taste? Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Can you say that? See, our appetites drive us. Do you realize that? The things that you enjoy, the things that you develop a taste for, they drive you. Speaking of driving, I have driven to Birmingham, Alabama for the express purpose of going to Whataburger because it's the closest Whataburger to Knoxville, Tennessee, 225 miles from my driveway to the trustful exit. You have to drive by Chick-fil-A to get there. It's up in the Sam's parking lot, and I know it so well. I can taste it right now. Adam, welcome back. There aren't many good things left in Beaumont since I'm gone. Sorry, Mom. But Whataburger is there. When I dropped Kayla off, it wasn't just me. Angie was there, too. When we dropped her off to send her to Thailand and Cambodia, we're way down in Atlanta. We drove five hours out of the way to Birmingham to drown our sorrows in Whataburger. I would do it again. Because I've developed a taste for it. Here is my question. What have you developed a taste for? Have you tasted the goodness of God, the grace of God, the faithfulness of God? Or are you still drinking from that well that doesn't satisfy See, Jesus met a woman at a well. It happened to be Jacob's well. And, and like all the patriarchs had, had, had drank water from this well. And Jesus asked for a drink. And he says, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you'd ask me for a drink. Because everyone who drinks this water is going to be thirsty again. It's not going to satisfy you. But I have living water, and it, it springs up, wells up into life eternal. That's what's available. Taste. Is, some, is it possible that some of us have developed a spiritual disease called spiritual agusia, where we've lost the ability to taste spiritual things? Are you bored with God? Are you bored with church? Is your quiet time dead? Do you not want to pray? It's not because God tastes any different than he ever did. But you might have this spiritual condition where you're not tasting things the way they're supposed to taste. Or maybe it's even worse. Maybe it's a spiritual condition like that one my dad had when he was going through cancer treatments. And everything that used to taste good tastes bitter. And maybe you think about God that way. Maybe you're mad at God. Maybe something happened in your life. You've never gotten over it. Maybe you had a bad church experience. Maybe you had a bad pastor. Maybe you have one now. And you've never gotten over it. And it's tainting the way that, that you think about God. The way. How's God taste to you these days? Because He hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. He's just as good as He's ever been. Here's another way to look at this taste thing, okay? Because I've been talking about it like you're the the person at the restaurant, and you're looking at the menu deciding what you want. Here's another way to think about this taste thing. What's your life taste like to the world? Because Jesus said, if I remember correctly, that you are the light of the world and you're the salt of the earth. And He says... In Matthew chapter 5, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how should its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything. Guys, one of the things that God left us here to do was to bring flavor of the kingdom to the world. What's your life taste like when you take your mind off of yourself? This is that other living that we talk about all the time, that do unto others See, you're here not just for you. See, all these senses, these physical senses, we live our, our whole lives in a physical sense, trying to satisfy our physical senses. But this one right here is about other people. How are other people experiencing you? See, salt flavors, and it preserves. How are you doing? Looking in that spiritual mirror. What's my, What, what well am I drinking from? What appetite is driving me? And what does my life taste like to the people around me? Guys, you cannot do wrong by asking yourself these questions and then being honest about the response. Last one. You got time for one more? Y'all still with me? I know it was a tough game yesterday. I know it's a, the Titans got a tough one today. It's going to be okay, though. Had a guy over here in a Steelers thing. Or I'm glad y'all came to different services. Yeah, I know. Just one more smell. Smell. If you've worked with middle school boys, you know about smells, right? If you've had children and you've ever tried to wrestle with a diaper genie, do they still make those, by the way? Hopefully, they're better than they were back in the day. Smell is like, I'm very acutely aware of smells, okay? I, great smells are great, awful smells are awful, but is there a spiritual application here? Is there such a thing as spiritual anosmia? The inability to smell things of God. The inability to, to, to sense when kingdom things are happening. This, this one was a little harder for me at first, but then God gave me a pretty good picture for this and a pretty good example. because I, I think you guys probably know this, but, but, but Brock Tharp is really good at this. You should be proud of your dad. He's really good at smelling kingdom things. There are many times me and Brock are walking down the same hallway, going into the same hospital room, and he smells something that I don't smell. He's like, you know, we really need to do something about this. Like, I, I think God's doing something. I think this person needs a special touch. Because that's called smelling the kingdom. And, and I, see it, I see it in so many of you. I see it in so many of you, and it's a beautiful thing. But why can't I smell those things? You know, why, why, why does somebody have to tell me? You know, why can't I be intentional? Like, well, maybe I need to do some assessment about how, how I'm smelling kingdom things. See, here's, here's the truth. If any of you go home today and you start baking bread, fresh bread, you don't have to explain what's going on. As soon as it starts baking and that aroma hits, there is nothing better in the world. And you don't have to explain, hey, I'm making bread. Everyone will know it. If you're making cookies, it's kind of the same, but it's not fresh bread. Guys, I think there's a spiritual truth there because that's what kingdom living is supposed to smell like. See, so many of you are scared to death to let anybody know that you have faith. Scared to death that you're going to be invited into a spiritual conversation and you're not going to know an answer. And it, it paralyzes you. And so you don't do anything. But what if your life was just like bacon bread? What if you didn't worry about saying it and you just let the aroma coming off your life of you living kingdom out in front of people by loving people the way Jesus loved you? Kind of like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and, and you let that do the talking. And then if they have questions, that's great, but you don't have to leave a track and a small tip. Okay? Just let your life smell like that. Am I making that up? I don't think so. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 say this. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. It's a victory parade. Jesus is leading the parade. We get to be in the parade. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. See, we're there and our job is to smell like him. We're supposed to be the heavenly bread. Oh, Jesus called himself the bread of life. I wonder why I like bread so much. That heavenly bread smell is supposed to be coming off of our lives. For we are the aroma of Christ. the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and those who are perishing to the one the fragrance of death to death and the other from life to life see this is the deal same smell maybe there's some people that don't know God that need to smell God on you and it might be a part of their redemptive story and maybe there are other people who are already redeemed but they need to be reminded what it's like to smell like Jesus And see, we have an impact in both of those. See, all those other senses are kind of primarily for for you. You know, what you see, what you hear, what you feel, what you taste. But the smell one, it's the most other-oriented of all the senses. You are the fragrant aroma of Christ. And the world needs to smell it. Five senses. God put them all in you. We all struggle in in different ways. But don't you think it makes sense, if these five things are such a part of how you navigate your way through the world physically, shouldn't we recognize their impact on us spiritually and be willing to ask ourselves some questions? Am I seeing what you want me to see? Am I hearing what you want me to hear? Is my heart tender enough to feel what you want me to feel? Am I tasting and seeing that you're good, or am I satisfied with something else? What's my life smell like? Father? I pray in the name of Jesus that you would you would let some people take take this seriously and 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 long after i'm done talking maybe they they would they would think well how, how does this apply to me? Which of my senses needs the most attention and I pray that that they would they would feel your pleasure on their lives as they do it. Because this is not a guilt trip. This is not to make anybody feel bad about how, they, how they've been or who they are. It's, no, you came to give us life and give it to the full and to experience all of you. We want to trade in our mediocre for the more of Christ. Then it, is there a more basic place to start than just this, the five senses that we all share? I pray that you would uh, somehow make some sense out of a whole bunch of words and bring nuggets of truth to our mind. May may some seeds fall on some fertile soil today. And that's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship in response to the Word.